Welcome to the Final Girls podcast where the true horror is having 107 tabs open on your browser. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're currently in the last stretch of a fourth series of the show where we're looking at teen horror movies in depth and discussing why teenagers and very often teenage girls make some of the most compelling protagonists and villains of the genre. Last week, we entered a new, weirder, more art housey space for teen horror with David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. And this week, we take on a double bill of films that are lesser known, perhaps less ambitious, but that both take on the big bad that is the internet. Both of the films discussed in this episode tackle the intersection of internet and horror aesthetics. Unfriended, which is a desktop horror where the action happens entirely through the screen and uh, Skype conversations. And our second film, Hashtag Horror, is an eerie teen girl sleepover party which is overlaid with extremely poppy and over-the-top social media graphics. They're both unhinged in their own very particular ways. And joining me to discuss the absolutely demonically mean teenagers of both of these films, and for the first time on the podcast, is researcher and podcaster Megan Allen. A quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Final Ghost UK. And if you can't spare a few seconds of your day, please leave the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps the show and it helps my self-esteem. If you're new to the show, please keep in mind that we talk spoilers pretty much from the very beginning. And with all of that said, please enjoy our takes on Unfriended and Hashtag Horror. Megan, welcome onto the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me be here. I am super thrilled. I'm very excited. I was very taken with you when we met doing a panel at the BFI and I instantly thought we have to have a conversation in a recorded fashion through a you know, recording interface, which is the clunkiest way I've ever said I have to get this woman on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I was super flattered, especially being like a follower of the final girls like collaborative both the film journal and the podcast oh I've thank you so not listened much to all the episodes but i've listened to them and really enjoy them so um yeah i mean i hope i didn't seem too crazy when uh you asked and i was just like yes like super fast <laughs> only in the best way also i deeply appreciated the fact that you for this panel had your copy of um, men, women, and chainsaws with um, like little sticky notes, which is exactly oh. how I also have all my reference books. <laughs> I felt like such a geek, but I was like, I'm also just going to lean into the fact that I'm a PhD researcher in this panel. So <laughs> it felt like on brand. Um, so tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about what you do around horror. You're writing your PhD right now on on horror tv um yeah horror kind of tv and film um i guess there will be potentially some literature in there um so yeah i'm in my second year 
of my PhD at the University of Manchester. And I'm in English literature and I'm technically in medieval studies. And I am currently looking um, or investigating the connections between virgin martyrs, specifically female virgin martyrs, and um, the threads of like torment and pain and like blood uh, throughout the centuries into contemporary horrors and especially the final girl trope. So mm. I'm currently working on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and St. Margaret of Antioch, who is a fourth century virgin martyr. She's you know quite legendary and apocryphal in a way. Uh, but she is known as the Demon Slayer, uh, like fought some demons, burst out of a dragon. And I'm looking at the relationship of like sacrifice and violence and pain and how women's bodies especially are used to tell these stories. Whereas for men throughout the, the middle times till now, it's been a lot more about, um, I don't know, their spirituality or their loquaciousness or something but for women it's always on marked on the body and so yeah I'm just like why why do we like watching women suffer like what does it do what does it mean it sounds amazingly interesting and tell me a little bit like what is your personal relationship with with horror um it's kind of funny I have not always been a horror person mm -hmm. I was actually a quite um scared little child in regards to horror. I had this fear until I was like 10 or so. It's kind of embarrassing, but I was just convinced I was going to either get abducted by aliens mm -hmm. or possessed by the devil. I guess I had just seen and heard somehow that if you show fear, you're like more easily uh, possessed by the devil. So I used to like stare at myself in the mirror and go, you are not afraid. Oh my God. Um, so I guess like possession's always been a theme in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and I remember like over Christmas when I had to be like five, my dad made me watch the famous pea soup scene. Um, and that like from the exorcist and that kind of freaked me the fuck out. I look back in hindsight and I see he was doing it, it wasn't being mean, but it just really stuck with me. Uh-huh. Um and yeah, so horror, I mean the first horror film. I can like recall watching that was definitely horror was the haunting in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. uh, gosh, 12, 10 plus years ago. I actually just recently rewatched it and I felt like it held up pretty well, all things considered. Um, and that movie t scared the living daylights out of me. And of course I showed up at home and told my mom that that's what we watched. And she was like, you know, our house is haunted, right? So naturally didn't sleep for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like my current love for horror and everything really, it sounds silly, but it blossomed during the pandemic. I don't know. Interesting. I had started to enjoy it more, but uh, during the pandemic, I had to have watched over 50 films. Um, yeah. Amazing. I, yeah. Also, The Haunting of Hill House by Mike Flanagan on Netflix, which was like, you know, a year or two before, but that was a really crucial, I think, um, reintroduction to the horror genre for me God, that's that's kind of an amazing uh personal journey i feel like <laughs> this is why i like asking people this question because everybody has their own horror origin story they always have kind of their horror coming out story as well in a sense where it feels like such a 
often a taboo genre where mm-hmm. you almost don't want to tell people that you like that stuff because I mean at least this has been my experience they always kind of ask you what's wrong with you why do you like being scared why do you enjoy this uh watching yeah. this stuff which weirdly never happens with more with grislier genres like true crime I think true crime is much more morally murky and usually grislier in terms of what they're actually talking about and showing but mm-hmm. somehow that evades um that sort of questioning but I love that the pandemic has kind of brought it out from us from all of us yeah I think um it's kind of a symptom or an example if you will of the highbrow versus lowbrow culture Mm -hmm. and horror I think has historically kind of been branded as low culture you know with like the penny dreadfuls and everything and it's very sensational um and I we talked about this at the the BFI panel but Mm -hmm. I think it's only in their last couple decades where it's really started to prove itself I guess to the general populace that it's not just campy and ridiculous Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong those are it's very true as well like I saw that you covered Slumber Party Massacre in this teen series and I was like this is one of my all I love a good splatter film and I was like this one is just it's so fun and so ridiculous and the poor pizza boy oh love it still one of my, Um, my one of the funniest slashers ever and I don't think it gets enough credit for being as funny as it actually is yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, you know, even in like men, women and chainsaws, it's very much like, oh, it's a phallic imagery sort of thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, very true. But it was also directed by a woman. And didn't she like, write or executive produce it or something? So there's something else there that is... It's one of the only, uh, I think it's still perhaps the only slasher franchise. Franchise is a strong word, but there were three films made in the franchise, and then there's a remake last year. They were mm-hmm. all always um, written and directed by women. Okay. I did not know that about all of, Yeah, I think there's just something really special there. Mm-hmm. And I think it adds to the the comedy of it, at least in the first one, which is the original, which is the only yeah. one I've seen. Um, oh, I definitely don't encourage the other ones to be fair <laughs> yeah and i tiptoed back and forth with the remake i'm like i don't know i don't want it to taint how glorious the original is <laughs> so <laughs> in this uh in this series i'm tackling teen horror so mm-hmm. i guess my first question to you is before we really get into the two films that we're going to be discussing in this episode unfriended and hashtag horror a title that will get very old very quickly throughout this conversation um what is your what is your general opinion on teen horror is that a subgenre that you that you enjoy that you gravitate towards yeah so I had to think about this and think like okay well what is teen horror because it's mm-hmm. such a large subgenre of the horror um milieu or whatever you mm-hmm. know and uh Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is Scream. I mean, it is, I just think, the defining... I think it's just the defining horror film. It's mm-hmm. the best all around. But And I was kind of like, oh, a lot of them are very just teen or young adult-centric. I guess the question is, like, when does being a teenager stop and start? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, with hashtag horror, it was very... Um, 
uh, telling that they were seventh graders or year seven. So Mm -hmm. what is that, like 12? Yeah. Um, Which is potentially preteen, depending on what your um, definition of a teenager is and everything. And if preteenhood even is a thing that exists. Well, this has been a, a really interesting thing to tackle, even in the choices. So um, I think I might have mentioned it before, but I I unfortunately love giving myself extra work for the purposes of a joke. And I wanted to start the season in September and end it in June, like a school year would, <laughs> uh, which... <laughs> <laughs> I both enjoy and chuckle and also kind of hate myself for making giving myself so much work but as I kind of revisited all these films this whole like when does teenhood stop and start with these films becomes really interesting because a lot of the films like sometimes they're in their first or sophomore years of university of college sometimes they're mm-hmm. kind of not specifically coded as teenagers they're just general young people but mm-hmm. the influence of their films and the way that they're shown is kind of like they're just generic young, which in horror often equates with like teenagers. And then sometimes they're in high school, but their high school environment just doesn't really play into the story at all. So it's been really it's been really fun kind of looking, expanding it a little bit because there's straight up things like um like halloween where it's a high school film but the high school isn't really involved and all the the protagonists look in their 20s but technically they're teenagers right and then you know wider things like the the granddaddies of slasher films so like you've mostly influenced high school slashers but the people in the films are not necessarily coded as teenagers so i've kind of kept it very fluid Generic mm-hmm. young people and sometimes preteens and sometimes clearly teenagers. But oftentimes they're also played by 27-year-old actors. So the lines are always very blurred, except here where they're clearly played by teenage actresses. Unfriended is obviously a little bit more in that kind of... They're coded as being, what, juniors or seniors in high school, but... Yeah. The, some of the actors are a little bit older and some of them are spot on. But yeah, hashtag horror. It's like undeniable mm-hmm. that they are in what we call in America middle school. So mm-hmm. yeah, like year seven, just before everything goes to shit with hormones and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Like it's starting, but it hasn't officially erupted yet. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, that you mentioned that like around this time. So this is already the 2010s. Unfriended comes mm-hmm. out in 2014 and Hashtag Horror comes out in 2015. Like these, This is also a moment where teenage girls specifically kind of start behaving or becoming teenagers a lot earlier in a way. And there's a few films around the late 2000s, I think, that really start to tap into this, this vibe of these are very, you know, preteen girls who are mimicking behavior so much older teenage teenage girls, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, hashtag horror definitely had the, uh, you know, Queen Bee kind of Heather's E vibe to it of mm. alpha female and you'll do what I want. Um, it kind of started to spin that on its head a little bit at the end, mm-hmm. but 
I don't know. It was a. It's not the best film, and we'll get there later. Yeah. But I have been thinking about it more than I thought that I would have. Um, and yeah, it was horrifying in more ways than just like horror. I was like, I'm having flashbacks to Abercrombie and Fitch wearing days, and I don't really want this. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Megan. It's okay. <laughs> I I think this happened with Mary Wilde on another episode with uh, when we were talking about excision and warm bodies. So like, I really don't mean to create existential crises <laughs> for my guests, but unfortunately, it keeps happening. So. I can only lead into it. So that's fine. <laughs> so let's let's start diving into the first one of our of the films that we're gonna be chatting about, Unfriended from okay. from 2014. So for the purposes of anyone who might not have revisited this film very recently, um, can you summarize the plot of Unfriended for us briefly? Yeah, so just to start off, the whole film takes place on like a computer screen recording so you know Mm -hmm. it's like clicking open of windows and messaging and everything and I think this was like the first at least horror film to really take advantage of that Mm -hmm. um and now it just feels so it's interesting I had never seen unfriended until Mm -hmm. now and just how kind of natural that felt because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic so I wonder I'll have to ask post my description if you have any kind of shifting relationships with that um but yeah Mm -hmm. so group of oh gosh four or five friends get in a video chat I guess after school later that day because that's what you do when you're in high school and um so we have uh, the the film opens with this high school student Laura Barnes committing suicide by shooting herself in the face on campus and it's a year later and so this follows the storyline of these group of friends, Jess, Ken, Adam, Blair, and Mitch. And it they get hacked, air quotes, I guess, or I don't know if there's another way to describe it, by an unknown user, a ghost user, if you will, mm-hmm. known as Billy227. And it kind of turns out that this Billy227 is like the vessel or whatever for the past Laura Barnes who starts you know playing games with them and bad things start happening meaning that they all start to die in really um, creative ways for their Mm -hmm. repercussions and their involvement of posting the video that um, propelled or catalyzed Laura to kill herself due to online bullying I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm done with that. Sorry, that was not the most coherent one. <laughs> Do you know what? I uh, Summarizing a film is surprisingly hard, uh, which is, to be totally transparent, is exactly why I asked my guests to do it. It's because it's really freaking hard, <laughs> and I'd rather not do it. <laughs> There's just, like, so many moving parts. I'm like, well, we're going to get to the point, you know, where we talk about how they die and all the things. Mm-hmm. So, like, does it do to dwell on that now, or... Like, does it matter that Blair and Mitch are together or like, it's just, yeah. I think one of, I think the clear thing that we have to start with is the fact that it is a desktop horror. So it's a, it's a kind of a, one of the first examples. It isn't the first one, 
But it's one of the first examples of this sort of new mode of making filmmaking, basically of filmmaking made entirely on a desktop. So we never Mm -hmm. actually leave what the characters are seeing through their computer and specifically just one character. Uh, But there is a lot of multitasking, which is exactly what we usually do with in our kind of daily use of screens anyway. And increasingly so. So I kind of wanted to ask you kind of how well or not do you think the the use of the desktop and the moving bits and pieces and the and the chats and the Facebook and the Skype and all these things work for the tension of the film? I think that I thought that some of like the Facebook scenes and uh, whatnot mm-hmm. were more successful than others but I found that like the messaging between especially Blair and Mitch you know and the kind of like why aren't you responding sort of thing or all that mm-hmm. and you know losing the focus of the um, zoom conversation because you're messaging somebody um, I thought that was very successful and relatable at least on my behalf mm-hmm. because been there done that um, I also think that the opening up of the tabs and checking those while people were talking uh, or that were like third hand removed, right? Because Mitch mentioned something in a message and then so we're not even like looking at the screen with the friends talking on it because and now you're on some random website. I also thought that was quite um, successful, though I think one of the major cons of this style of um, filmmaking is that if you don't have the benefit of watching it like on a cinema screen, sometimes you can't really see what they're typing. Mm-hmm. There were, and like I watched it on my television at home, which mm-hmm. isn't huge, but I was kind of like, oh, what exactly is being typed there or said or researched? And most of the time they were good about it then like, you know, going into the message feed and getting larger. But there were a few I just missed and wasn't able to process. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think it was stressful, too, just because she had so many screens open, and that generally tends to stress me out, mm-hmm. but that's also just a personal response to that, I think. <laughs> it, is, it is really strange, because I'd seen this film before, and the first time I mm-hmm. saw it, I watched it on a laptop, and I've always kind of been fascinated by desktop filmmaking in general desktop documentaries um anything that kind of used the the interfaces of of our daily usage i guess and social media mm-hmm. and tries to transform that into narrative language uh, or to tell a story i find really interesting and a very few of them have been successful Obviously, Host was one of the greatest examples last year. Well, actually, 2020 now. Yeah, I know. And it's one of the interesting things is that it really ages. Like, it so belongs in a particular era. So even when I rewatched it today, when they started just using Skype to hang out and this very, (laughs) you know, mid-2010s interface of a Mac computer... It looked so dated. It looked so specific to a particular era or the use like teenagers using Facebook seems like a complete contradiction in terms right now because of how it's evolved. So I do love these films, especially because how they capture a particular moment in time 
And some of them do feel hokey. I don't think this one feels as hokey to me as others. You know, the way that they're typing, the way that they talk to each other, uh, the the way that they kind of, um, you know, don't capitalize things or the way that they go between. Mm-hmm. Even the little bookmarks that are seen on their browser. It's like Tumblr and Jezebel and like those sites that feel also particularly of that era. Yeah, she's Forever 21. Yes. RIP is one. <laughs> like those things really work because they're such records of a particular time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I definitely noticed the interface thing as well. Like that mid-2000s uh, Mac interface and the mm-hmm. old message bubbles and everything like that. Um, and... I don't know. It still wor- it, it works because I think it kind of gives you a little bit of that uh, d- displacement, you know, to kind of mm-hmm. settle into it more, if that makes sense. Where part of what made host so fucking scary, mm-hmm. aside from just its timing and how well it was done, but it just felt too real. Mm-hmm. You're like, this looks exactly like what my screen looks like. Yes. What if? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've- not planning on manifesting any uh, vengeful spirits, but you never know, though. You yeah, never know. you never know. Might get bored on like a Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you? What do you make of this this conceit, which is not dissimilar, uh, I guess, to the host one of like there's this conversation um, and the the technology, the 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 browsing, which is very basic tech anyway, in the sense that it's just browsing, it's chatting, and it's you know looking at YouTube videos and checking Facebook. This is infiltrated by the ghost of a teenage girl who uh, had committed suicide a year before. And mm-hmm. we only see her through videos of her and texts and her Facebook profile. But she she is the the ghost in this film. It is essentially a ghost film. So what do you make of Laura mm-hmm. Barnes as a as a character that we never actually get to see? I mean, I think that Laura definitely had some unintentionally hokey bits Mm -hmm. i kept wondering if the um the name like billy 227 was a reference to billy loomis um because and then like you want to play a game you know kind of thing i was like are these like really tiny nudges or is it just because like i'm obsessed with scream so i just want to see it everywhere because i love it um yeah i mean it's one of those situations where um, it's a good, I think that Laura, like the the concept of Laura hacking in and causing all these truths to be exposed mm-hmm. was really useful. But also I got like really lost, to be quite fair, on how some of the tech stuff was working. Mm-hmm. Like when they use the program to wipe all like to wipe their computers or whatever so that uh billy 227's not in the chat anymore but then uh-huh. billy calls or laura i should say calls on the phone and then is able to get back into the system and i was like is that because it's connected to the internet like old school landline or <laughs> i don't what's yeah. happening and was there a camera in uh was it well not adam um blender hands 
Um, oh, uh, yes. I know that guy. Oh, uh, Ken. 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 Because Kennington was his name. Yeah. Like in the Skype. Sorry, continue. Yeah. What were you going to say? <laughs> what I was going to say is that actually they don't, they're not as memorable. I think this is one of the things that is very difficult to pull off with these types of films, which again, host um, and searching, which is sort of from the same group of filmmakers, but stars John Cho and John Cho is obviously very charismatic, very good actor. Mm -hmm. When there's a group, it is really difficult, I think, to give them all a personality because they did end up kind of, I had to remind myself and I was very grateful that they had little names underneath their Mm -hmm. um you know windows on the skype i was like which which one are you again what what did you do (laughs) because they're not very they don't have that much of um character development yeah i think that for me the largest character development or the ones i was able to like uh get a a grasp for the Mm -hmm. most were blair who's like our main protagonist right mitch and adam I think just because they were the most um, involved and like loud, and mm-hmm. maybe it's also because they had like the love triangle-y thing. Yeah. Um, I mean that because when Val dies, I was like, "What? I don't even understand. What does she do?" And it wasn't until later I found out that she had drank the bleach that caused mm-hmm. the seizure. I was like, "I just missed that." Um, and. Yeah, Kennington was just kind of there as, like, the tech nerd guy, I guess. Didn't really offer anything, though. I mean, I wasn't expecting his hands and arms and, I guess, face to go into the blender. So that definitely, like, tickled my, (laughs) yes, like, absurd death Mm -hmm. bone. Because I do love those. They make me very uh, happy. Mm -hmm. Um, Not in a creepy way. Like... (laughs) Creepy, but not creepy. If you okay. will. <laughs> you're, you're allowed to be creepy on main on this podcast. That's kind of the thing. Yeah, I guess I don't mean it in like a sociopathic way, <laughs> but I love the more absurd and like gruesome a death is, mm-hmm. like the happier I am. Um, like quick side note, I saw the Foo Fighters film when it came out at the end of February. Uh huh. With. Uh, my partner and there were only like five other people in the theater like no one went to go see that yep and spoiler there's a scene where two characters are you know starting to get into like sexy time get it on and dave girl's possessed by the evil spirit at this point he's under the bed with a chainsaw and there's just a shot like an eagle eye shot and the chainsaw just goes through both the ca- the love making characters foreheads and then he just splits them in half and their body is like split apart mm-hmm. and it's just so intense and over the top and I laughed with glee so loud and I'm pretty sure I upset everyone else in the theater uh, excluding my partner who I think was laughing at me because of the pure joy that I had (laughs) I mean you're kind of almost convincing me to watch that film it was much better than I anticipated and it's also a good way to you know uh give an homage and like memory of the Foo Fighters drummer who just recently passed. Yeah, Sarah Taylor Hawkins. Hawkins. Um, but yeah, so, sorry, back to Unfriended. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I found, like, the deaths, yeah, very underwhelming, but also, like, creative. Just, um, like, Jess, uh, played by Renee Olstead, 
Um, her death with a curling iron shoved down her throat. Yes. I was like, what? That's intense. That was But it does kind of, like, happen, and then you kind of move on. Yeah. Um, what did you think? Because um, I'll tell you the one that worked for me the best, which is probably the s- most subtle one. And I love a bit of gore, but I'm not necessarily a gore hound. I prefer the <laughs> the brand of scares where it's like you kind of have to look for it. And then when you find it, it really cre- enhances the creepiness. So my favorite mm-hmm. f- was the first kill where there was just this static shot of the girl who's looking straight mm-hmm. at the at the webcam and everyone else is moving and you're kind of comfortable because you were used to images freezing when we're mm-hmm. video calling someone but her phone as they call her is vibrating on her table and it starts moving and you just see mm-hmm. the phone enter the frame on the side but she still looks like a completely static um you know glitchy image of her and that i found really creepy it's like the first one the first kill that happens is the first one that starts getting we're start getting into the the gorier as opposed to spookier territory and and then you know they they keep doing this sort of glitch glitch image of something horrific happening glitch glitch another image of something horrific happening um and did that did that glitchiness work for you um to be quite honest i I didn't think too much of it, so I'm going to say yes. Like, it didn't frustrate me. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I bet that if I were to, like, pay attention more critically, because, again, since this was my first one, I was, like, trying to take notes and watch it and, like, mm-hmm. be present. Um, but I think that the glitching, it's just kind of like in other horror films where the lights are flashing on and off or something. It's just a way to um, enable that kind of strobe light effect Mm -hmm. where you don't know where that object or person is going to be in the next instant or next non-glitchy bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, now that I think about it, it was kind of used for all of them. But, like, for... Ken's death, I thought that worked. Where they're like, what's yeah. happening? And then all of a sudden, you just hear like, and his hand's like in the blender. And it's only mm-hmm. like two or three seconds. And then it's over. And he, you know, gets wiped off the ch- chat. Um, so, but it's also like, how else would you, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. Because I think it would be, I think the glitchiness goes with the um, multitasking aspect of it. The uh-huh. kind of constant frame changing and minimizing and maximizing so maybe that's why i didn't notice it as much as perhaps if it was done in a not desktop horror mm-hmm. but and what did you make of just... the of the ending well and when i say the ending i kind of also want to talk about the leading up to it the moment where they've kind of all accepted that this is laura's ghost and she's sort mm-hmm. of egging them on to reveal deeply uncomfortable truths about everyone and kind of getting to the ending with Blair and the revelation mm-hmm. about Blair. What did you make about that whole um that whole like process and and how Blair ends up being the the survivor but also ultimately kind of the 
the villain of the whole story? Yeah. I mean, the moment that she typed, we're good people, and on Facebook, I was like, oh, no, shit's going to hit the fan. <laughs> Never say that. Um, that's good a lie that people like to tell themselves, you know? people never type that. Yeah. That was just really stressful for me because I don't like conflict. Mm-hmm. And so when Adam and Mitch were, like, screaming at one another, I was like, you both just need to take a deep breath mm-hmm. and calm down so that you can use your words <laughs> um th- that's just like how I was feeling on the inside mm-hmm. um I think that 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 one did work for me because at this point I feel that that's when everything started to spiral out of control and this kind of vengeance mission of the ghost Mm -hmm. when everything starts to spiral out of control you know so mitch and adam are like screaming at one another uh jess and blair are like because jess is still alive at this point isn't she Mm -hmm. yeah because she has she's the one that like to face the grave and everything are they both like crying and yeah just things start to spiral and so do the like revelations and never have I ever and I was like this is going beyond just like what is the end game with this because once we start finding out that like Adam roofied a girl raped her got her pregnant and forced her to have an abortion I was like this is fucked man Mm -hmm. you know like that honestly is worse I think than the ultimate revelation that Blair was the recorder of the um, video that was posted that ultimately led to Laura killing herself, which is just her passed out at a party and she's um, shat herself. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I just, yeah, that's like a revelation. I was kind of like, oh, okay. Kind of makes sense to why Blair was the the final one. Why Blair was like the main contact for Mm -hmm. Laura. But at the same time, to me, that just doesn't equate to someone being, like, drugged and raped and violated that way. I guess it didn't lead to, like, death that we know of. Um, and so I thought that was just kind of – things started to get really topsy-turvy and disproportionately balanced to me at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also you're kind of like, what – what is going to happen, like, with the printouts between Blair and Adam, which basically says, like, if you show this on the screen, the other person will die. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was meant to be, like, slightly redeeming on Adam's part, even though we just found out he's a rapist, Mm -hmm. because he doesn't show it, or to also show the mm, potential of villainy in Blair because she does show it because Mitch is freaking out and then Adam shoots himself with the gun wow like just thinking about this and poor audience because there is just like a lot that happens there that's chaos it is like it is pure chaotic and I think I don't know one of the interesting things about rewatching it have and rewatching in the context Mm -hmm. of the season is actually, I don't think this is a film that actually gets teen teens that well because mm-hmm. 
it has gone full extreme. It has gone every when they get shit faced and um pass out at a party, it's like the most extremely humiliating aspect of it. They're recorded um with shit on them, um, passed out in the middle of a garden, and everybody, you know, and the consequence of that is a girl the girl um commits suicide because of the intensity of that humiliation. When they're talking about uh every single one of these these groups of friends of people has done something heinous, but not heinous in a teenage way, heinous in a like uh extreme soap operatic way. So I think there's yeah. that element I don't know if it's sort of teen phobic in a way, where they kind of think it's kind of taking this approach of kids these days are just completely unhinged and wild and the internet has made them callous sociopaths. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I do think that it is a very, like... uh, Teens, they're so addicted to their screens and, yeah, just have, like, lost contact with reality in, in a way and do these horrible things. Um, and for me, it's like, okay, yeah, someone being filmed, you know, passed out, shot yourself, posted on the internet, it's mortifying, you know, for sure. But their whole, like, people were like, you should just kill yourself and da-da-da. That felt very kind of naive, almost like 1980s character, you know, where you're like, that's comical, though. People, some people might be assholes and say that, but there's always going to be another thing that moves on. Like, that's like, oh, did you hear about this? You know? Um, and yeah, I, so I found that uh, interesting. And yeah, just the, the out-of-controlness, again, like, referring to the Adam character. Uh, at first, they're like, never have I evers were relatively, I think, in line with, like, what a teenager of their age would be, like, uh having sex with another person, but I really love you, you know, like that, Mm -hmm. or doing something stupid, like defacing a grave. Um, The car crashing thing, I was like, I'm going to run with this, but insurance and stuff is involved, so that just wouldn't happen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sounds so old, but, (laughs) like, it just, that would have been different. And then, yeah, then you get into the... um, Oh, what was it? I've never stolen $800 from Adam. And Jess was like, you have all this money. And I was like, what the fuck? Who just takes, like, what teenager just steals money from your friend like that? Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, people, I, I was like, I don't, this is beyond reality. But also, and then it gets, yeah. what random teenager just has like $800 on their person? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I I want to be them as a not teenager <laughs> now. <laughs> now that much money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, and I yeah. So go yes, ahead. Go ahead. No, I w- didn't really have a thought. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you, kind of, before we move on to uh, hashtag horror, is mm-hmm. how do you? F- obviously, it's it feels dated, but how do you feel this film has aged, considering how our relationship with you know technology and and social media has changed and evolved 
so in regards to like interfaces and some of the platforms being used, like you mentioned um, earlier in this episode, is very dated. It's very time capsule-y. Like, oh, remember when we used Facebook to message? Just like for me with middle school, you know, uh, and hashtag horror, even though they're like messaging on these platforms. I'm like, I remember AOL Messenger, <laughs> like instant messenger being the thing. And talk about like an archaic platform. Um so there is that kind of nostalgic, but it wasn't intentionally nostalgic, you know, but I think that it kind of, for those who are familiar, has a hint of that. I think that it was very of that moment where cyberbullying was also like a really big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. And there had been like those two major cyberbullying suicides that had occurred um, like within the year before, um, and I think they were in, in America that, uh, you know, this had a direct kind of time stamp relationship to that, uh, is kind of lost now, unless you're aware of that occurring at that time. Um, I think that the addiction to screens aspect of it, you know, and, I was reading some just brief little blurbs on, well, why wouldn't they just leave the the screen? Or why wouldn't they just, you know, turn it off? And it's like, well, A, that's, they saw the consequences of what happens when you try to do that. So that's just dumb. But it's also the commentary on, like, you can't look away. But also that's the reality. Mm-hmm. When you're on those screens, that is what is real, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that still 100% translates today. might manifest itself a little differently, but especially with the pandemic and how we chose to spend our time and the way that we had to communicate with others, um, you know, like talking about host again, it, I think that just because of how history unfolded, it's a bit more relevant than it would have been had we not been in a pandemic for the past, you know, two plus years, um, forced to be on our screens to communicate with one another and kind of live that reality. That's a very long-winded, convoluted response, but that's that's what I'll run with. <laughs> no, it's a very considered one, and and I think that's the kind of the the bullying and obsessive nature of of that kind of is a nice hmm, nice as a bad choice of words is a segue into the mm-hmm. next film we need to we need to talk about which is hashtag horror um, which came out the following year and is in many ways the polar opposite but also a very good sister film to unfriended and it's much less known and i've had a i've mm-hmm. had a little bit of a thing for this film since it came out um so i i i'm i was very very keen to include us to include it in this conversation so can you briefly summarize hashtag horror for me yes all right i'll do my best so there are like six very affluent teenage girls who are like in middle school so you're seven you're eight so like around 12 years old who I'm assuming it's like a Friday because they're in school uniforms, but they're going to a friend's house to have a sleepover, as you do at that age. Um, but it kind of come there. The way that they treat each other 
which is very cruel and definitely has aspects of bullying, um, starts to have real-life repercussions that become more sinister and violent. And then there's like a big reveal at the end of... Because a running thread kind of throughout the film, too, that's going along with just, you know, these girls dressing up and dancing and, like, I'm going to post this on Instagram or whatever the platform is. I'm so cute. Um, Which we've all been there. Mm -hmm. Guilty as charged. Um, But there's also these shots of, like, uh, this one man in the opening scene, his he's just, uh, his throat's cut. And you're like... And that kind of keeps getting sprinkled alongside what's occurring with the girls. And there's shots of, like, looking in as if someone's watching. And so you kind of have this feeling of, oh, is is it going to be, like, an invasion kind of film? Mm-hmm. And that it's not. But there's always that kind of tension of something occurring beneath the surface. Um, and... Yeah, it just it ends with a bunch of dead girls and some distraught parents. And yeah, that's my kind of spoiler-free, but we'll get into it, synopsis. Basically, a slumber party gone wrong, but not as fun as Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> those are both great. I love those. Um, <laughs> so... You kind of really, really hit the nail on the head. The first thing to note about this film is that it's it's incredibly centered on very, very affluent preteen girls. So, like, bizarrely affluent. Also, sorry, quick side note. Yeah. All the actresses are, like, fucking big-time heiresses and stuff, too. And, like, in the cast. All, All the girls? Not all the girls, but, like, um, the one girl who had, um, one girl's played by Blue Lindeberg, whose family are, like, Swedish, uh, clothing conglomerate people who, like, did lines with, uh, clothing lines with, like, Justin Timberlake and stuff. Lydia Hurst is in it as the other woman with the dad who's, like, related to the Hurst family. Mm, um, Balthazar Getty of, like, the Getty art family is yeah. the dad that gets beheaded. And I was like, what is this film? Cause then you also have like Natasha Leone who's headlined in it and she's only in it for less than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Same with Taryn Manning. And then you have Timothy Hutton who I didn't just like, Hey, it's haunting of Hill house dad. <laughs> yes. So, so sorry, continue what you're going to say, but it's just kind of, I found it really interesting. Like, cause the house that they used too was like a friend's house mm-hmm. or like a friend of a friend's house that Taryn, not Taryn, um, the director was able to Tara, y- yeah. use. Who is married, I think, to a, a pretty big artist in real life. She's a she's a she's an artist herself. And when I was looking at her biography, one of the things that kind mm-hmm. of really uh, stood out to me was that she lives in like in a in a house designed by an architect called Sol Harris Brown. I don't know my architects, but I think that if anybody, any Wikipedia page points out that you live in a house designed by any architect, then big deal. That's a very <laughs> specific kind of person who buys that sort of property. Yeah. Um, um, so my, my question really is like, you're really right. Like wealth is 
in the themes, in all the choices, in the setting, in the way that it's filmed, in the cast. And it feels, I don't know if you got the sense, maybe because we're all kind of culturally revisiting the noughties right now, which mm-hmm. means, you know, kind of revisiting a lot of images that were very much the mainstream imagery uh, when when I was a teenager. And this mm-hmm. very much feels like it's made by someone who like also had that those that imagery of kind of early millennial Paris Hilton style level of wealth like just beyond anything that I've ever interacted yeah. with directly so Sorry. I wanted to ask you kind of what do you make of the the design of the film and how it depicts wealth without talking about it directly yeah I mean it's very gossip girly for sure mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, can I use a personal antidote? Like for me growing up, uh, I'm from Pasadena, California, and that's a very affluent community. And it has, I don't know if this is still holds true, but it has the highest concentration of, um, private schools. So like fancy ones that you pay to go to, uh, in the world, like, like within a certain area, like it's just, there's a lot of money there. So I grew up around a lot of very affluent people, but not as affluent as these girls. These are like, yeah, the gossip girl, almost uh, like fairy tale wealthy, just stupid, out of this world, kind of to the point where it becomes almost like tacky, I feel, how much money there is. And like in this house, it has these you know, beautiful floor-to-ceiling glass windows. It looks like almost one of just the walls of the house is made of glass. Um, And, yeah, there's artwork everywhere. And the daughter that lives there, she's like, it's like living in a museum. That's what my mom wanted it to be. So there's also this kind of you can't even be comfortable in your own home because it's this curated and maintained space which is a really interesting, I think, reflection of social media, right? Because that's mm-hmm. a curated and maintained space. You don't put up the ugly triple chin photos usually on like an Instagram or something like that. You want the best angle and the best lighting. And um, So there's also, I just, I think that kind of, without realizing it, adds to this sense of unease at least as an older viewer watching because it's kind of like well then where do you get to be yourself and I think these girls that's like one of the big kind of conflicts and the cause of a lot of their um, frustrations and animosity towards one another is well you just you don't understand or you can't be like that or you know the one poor girl they're like you're just too fat just go eat in the corner kind of thing and yeah I think it that that home and that kind of space and that um the echelon of people that that's a part of definitely is an influence in the film and its atmosphere without even necessarily being aware of it um that it definitely kind of sets up the story in a very particular way, which I guess is true of any sort of setting. That's Mm. why it's a setting. And what do you make of the way that these, that these girls interact with one another? Because 
even rewatching it, even mm-hmm. it being kind of dated, even being in this very extremely obscenely wealthy and hyper curated setting, they are mm-hmm. exceedingly cruel to each other. Oh, yeah. It was like comedic how bad they mm-hmm. were to one another. To me, like it's. I've never. I've never encountered someone behaving that way to someone else like that continuously and being that catty and that um yet just cruel like what group of they just like kick out cat the one of the girls she's like in the snow they're home by themselves like no where's the next house and they're just like you need to leave like what the Mm -hmm. fuck and yeah, saying, making fun of the um, Georgie because she's a bit overweight and just being like, eat more food. Maybe you should do like a really easy dance class if you're going to get back into dance kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I would never speak to someone like that, ever. Um, so I think it kind of makes them all little villainesses, except for, you know, the one protagonist girl that we're supposed to have um natasha leone's daughter but i can't remember what her actual name in the movie is sam mm-hmm. yeah yeah who is like the least uh, wealthy one of them right and she's like the new girl the transfer the kind of weird one that mm-hmm. when she first gets there overhears them being like why'd you even invite her you know yeah. kind of thing um i think she's also the actress that carried her cards closest to her chest in regards to you know she's like reveals for being 12 that she's like already had sex and mm-hmm. everything and the scars on her arms and you're kind of like how much of this is truth and how much of this is lies to cause to manifest this persona of intrigue and like bad girlness mm-hmm. um at least to me that's how it read i could have just totally missed the point on that though that happens <laughs> i don't think you missed the point but i did wonder kind of what was the point of hashtag horror like where is the horror actually located here because it's not so much in the kills Mm-mm. Yeah, a lot of those happen off screen uh, knowing like the origin story of this movie and how it's supposed to be cyberbullying is so for, any- not- for anyone who might not know what is the origin oh, yeah. story of the movie um so the creator tara subkoff uh, the writer and director, she was, like, talking to a friend's daughter, who I guess is around this age, and asked her, like, what is the most terrifying or frightening thing to you? And she said cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. And so Subkoff, like, found that really, like, intriguing. And be- because of this idea of, well, it's out there and it's everywhere and it'll just follow you. Like, it, you can't necessarily escape it. Um, you can if you you disconnect, but I guess it can always, you know, that's like a theme right now in some movies is it's like, don't Google the person because you might not like what you see. Um, the the cyberbullying aspect of it to me, I thought it was just much more about like bullying as a whole. Um, with and like I guess that includes the cyberbullying aspect, but um, in regards to 
a point of the film. I don't know. Don't be a little bitch. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, and by that, but by that, I mean, like, they're just so cruel and horrible. And, like, yes, honesty is a good thing, but uh, you need to have tact. And uh, also, just, like, don't always rely on your phone. Like, I'm guilty of it, but it's not life. It's not everything despite what it might make you feel. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did. I don't Do you have any like thoughts on like what the, the purpose of this film is or well, was? I'm just thinking and like, it does feel a little bit sort of mom like in that sense of, of that sort of mm-hmm. vibe of, the teenage, again, same as with Unfriended, but kind of from a completely different perspective, the teenagers have gone wild. I want to show how deeply damaging social media has been on girl dynamics. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little bit too much to blame just social media on it. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. the dynamics between the girls, which are awful, they're all awful to each other, they're mm-hmm. only exacerbated by this like fake social platform that they're using but if that was taken away from them they would still be just as awful yeah they'd still they'd still be um shaming each other they'd still be bullying each other um and i think like that is more interesting than the way that it uses this pretend technology Mm -hmm. and I think the point that the film is trying wants to make is that social media has ruined childhoods and is forcing mm. teenagers and especially girls to grow up uh, a lot quicker. And, you know, it's not necessarily wrong, but I do think it's a little bit melodramatic in how it approaches it. Like, I, I think Kat from the very beginning is like a full-on sociopath in this movie. Yeah. Which I find her quite interesting because we don't usually get those types of characters, uh, those kind of like almost insulty type of characters being being girls. Mm-hmm. But uh, actually, the point that I find more interesting of the film is just how awful they all are to each other and how they use, even when they're trying to be nice to one another, they can't. They they literally yeah. cannot. Even when they're trying to be sweet to one another and comfort some um Georgie or or Sam, they're still absolutely absolute bitches to one another. So it yeah. never gets easier. And that I find like amazing about this film. Yeah, well and also just like parenting on the behalf of um the how of Chloe Savigny's the the mom just like leaving them mm-hmm. like okay she's going to a twelve step meeting but yeah she's like I'll be gone an hour she's clearly gone a lot longer than that um and just is like so disconnected and like the only way she like relates to the girls is you know when she gives them the jewels which were very gaudy and whatnot and then she's like oh, we can get pizza later. And then, of course, the girls were like, but carbs! And it was, that's just very sad if little 
children can't enjoy pizza because they're missing out on some of the best uh, happiness in life. But yeah, like just the absent parents as well. Dr. Cox turns out to be, or Dr. White, sorry, not Dr. Cox, Dr. White, so Timothy Hutton's character, so cat mm-hmm. dad, you know, is at first portrayed as this very detached, um, you know, work-obsessed kind of father who's not there, and perhaps that was true, but then we find out that he has been trying to keep an eye on her and keep her in and just failed at that. Um, and yeah, he gets over the top and like kind of hits the girls at one point. Oh, God. And like is screaming at and terrifying them. And you're like, um, this isn't okay. He is but ins- insane in this film. Yeah. But at least he's trying to like knock some sense into them. Not like I'm, I'm not advocating screaming and violence or anything. But it was just nice to see someone being like, stop being self centered little bitch girls like your friend is out in the freezing cold because you kicked her out have you thought about that you know Mm -hmm. kind of thing um but yeah he's obviously bonkers don't think maybe he should have died but whatever horror film right (laughs) and like that's kind of an interesting point that i want to talk about like cat's father is unhinged in this movie but maybe this is also like an age thing but a lot of the the teen horror films that I've been talking about in the series, I'm almost more interested in the parents and sometimes the absence of parents as well. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you... And here they get a little bit, quite a bit of space as well. What do you make of um, of the adults in the movie? Um. Okay, so yeah... Daddy White is involved, but cuckoo. Kind of like Carrie White's mom. Mm-hmm. I wonder if White was a... Or if it's just because, like, White, like, blank slate. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, very problematic in his approach. And perhaps a bit too much, too late. And, um, yeah, then the the mom, Alex Cox, just very... I mean, we get the background story that her husband has been, like, cheating on her and it's their anniversary and she doesn't want to see him anymore and is, like, very upset by that. But then it just kind of seems like later on it's like that never happened and she's just very detached from the daughter. And there's, like, you know, the scene where she loses the two phones and she's talking to the person and uh, just kind of off in her own world, her own bubble, and then, yeah, just leaves the children alone in a giant house with, like, no protocol for, oh, call me if you need anything or whatever. Also, did she get into the car with an alcoholic drink or was, like, is it water? I was trying to figure that out because I was, like, irresponsible, Mm -hmm. but I guess that's coding her as an alcoholic. Yeah. She is going to a 12-step meeting. Um, yeah, just the adults in this film kind of suck because she's talking to uh, Taryn Manning, you know, who's from Orange is the New Black. And this friend or whatever is like, you're doing a good job, blah, 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 and sees the confrontation between Dr. White and 
uh, Alex Cox and is just like, he's crazy, you're fine, you're doing the right thing. And it's just like, you are all mental. And letting these little 12-year-olds run wild and they're going to face the ultimate repercussions because no one has been there to give them a slap on the wrist or tell them how to behave as functioning and decent human beings. That's my two cents. Yeah. I think what's really interesting is like exactly what you've said. This film is trying to blame uh, technology and social media for quote unquote ruining the girls, but Actually, there is a lot of learned behavior from the parents or the absence of parents that we see. Yeah, because isn't it like the last scene of the movie when it gets, you know, cut to cats in cell video? Like the mom just hands an iPad to her kid. Does that happen in this film or am I just imagining that? No, I don't think it happens so in this could... film. Okay, so never mind. Because there is that just, you know, you see it in the in the wild, in the world where... yeah. Parents don't want to deal with their toddler or baby, so they just hand them their phone or their iPad and let them, just the screen raise them. Um, and if there is something like this, the, you know, the app, I don't even know what it's called in this film, that I guess encourage, it's like dark web and encourages horrendous behavior. Um, I, I didn't get the app. Was I missing something? Like, it made no sense to me. Well, this is the thing that I kind of both really like uh, and find really hokey about this film is that it really tries to like double down on this idea like social media is evil and social media is, is a playground for cyberbullying and it's wearing in our, our, young, our young teenage girls. But it kind of goes over the top with the app like it is so extreme. All the pop-ups, all the colors, all the, um, the like, it's essentially like this vision of what an internet aesthetic is, but from someone who clearly has a very strong aesthetic themselves is an artist, yeah. mm -hmm. but is approaching this from the outside. So it's like being inundated and assaulted by this just pop-up screens and colors and, and a bubblegum style texts that have nothing to do with the way that the internet actually and social media actually presents itself so it's a little mm -hmm. bit kind of bubble gummy black mirror vibes which i yeah. find very interesting and that's kind of part of as well the the kind of the mom like hokiness of it i was like yeah okay that's not how it works but i can see what you're what you're going for it's like a very distinct vision of of social media that's not based on any platform yeah and the way that like images pop up and the way the hashtags are used you know even the mm -hmm. even the title of the film kind of hashtag horror is so on the nose mm -hmm. and even the way that like i want to talk about the ending because that's where cat who does kill everyone and then again commits suicide much like in the in unfriended she sort of mm -hmm. has a sort of a direct to to camera address in the in the vein of like Elliot Roger, who did that same thing and kind of posted a oh. very lengthy video to YouTube before he committed um his his spree spree killings. Mm -hmm. It's exactly that vibe. It's like uh the internet 
is there to make us famous. So I want to be famous and I'm going to be famous by committing violence. And the internet, is to, the internet is to blame for me being this way, but also it's going to give me what I want, even if I'm not there to enjoy it. And that I find very over the top in the yeah. way that it's also presented, like very 90s with all the floating uh, windows and the hashtags and the video of Kat talking to camera and everything is made up, like all the interfaces are only existing in this film. They don't exist anywhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, it was just a very... The end felt kind of abrupt to me, too. It was just like, oh, it's been Kat. She's been on a murder rampage. And you're just, I was just like, okay, A, how? Don't get it. Um, but, yeah, the the end where she's going to be remembered forever. And that kind of twisted logic. Um, did you notice that there is a, in like all the screen, you know, like little interfaces at the end that Slender Man appears in a few of them? No, I didn't. Did he? Just really briefly. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, that ties it. Like, that's probably one of the few things that kind of dates it in a way, because the, the blessing of, of using fake film specific social social media that's created for the film only is that mm -hmm. it doesn't belong to any particular era yeah um yeah i i mean or at least it looked like it to me and i was like oh that's interesting um yeah i just i don't know the going back just briefly to the um like the app and the vomit of color and mm -hmm. everything that it is. And it's kind of, you know, mom aesthetic. It just reminds me a lot of, um, I speak to one of my grandmothers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, a lot of my stories that I post are so that she can kind of see me living my life in the UK and everything. And man, she fucking loves her emojis. <laughs> um, and I mean, I love my emojis, but I think that it's like, that kind of uh, age barrier where parents and grandparents think that we use them in ways that we don't and more than we do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I just, when you were like mentioning that, I was kind of like, yeah, it's like a acid grandma aesthetic <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh <laughs> acid grandma aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh that's amazing I love that <laughs> you didn't think those words were going to come out of my mouth especially not in a film about <laughs> teenage girls uh, no yeah, but welcome I think, to my brain I think it perfectly describes the aesthetic of this film of hashtag horror yeah um, I just I don't know I, I wanted to like it a lot more than I did to be quite mm -hmm. honest when I was watching it, it gave me a lot of flash, or like it reminded me a lot watching it. I'm gonna assume you've seen it, the film Final Girl with Abigail Breslin. Oh yes, and, yeah. Which is, if if you don't mind me saying, horrible. Like I think it's <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I think it's so bad. And this kind of gave me. Like, you know, recollections or flashbacks to that, but done better. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that, too, is 
the message that's trying to be told, like, Final Girl is so on the nose. I mean, it was like, this is the definition of a Final Girl. This is X, Y, and Z. This is the math of it, you know? And I feel like this, it's kind of like, she has, um, the director, Tara Subkoff, has the parts and everything, but not quite the understanding or, like, the approach that makes it that next step. And I do think that um, Unfriended was a bit more successful in that, but also neither of these have been as successful, in my opinion, as, like, host. And maybe that's Mm -hmm. also just the time between them, you know, like a decade, five-plus years, whatnot. Um, But then again, like, Host was also a low-budget film that was made in the first, what, like, ten weeks of the pandemic? So, like, very limited uh, resources. I think the massive difference as well is that Host was made by people who understood and used the the, the Zoom, like, the technology that, that is uses the the narrative vehicle like the setting of the film whether mm-hmm. you can definitely feel the generational distance between the filmmakers of both unfriended and hashtag horror mm-hmm. which is just kind of interesting to like think because you'll definitely have generational gaps in other films that are being made you know even all the way back to the you know quintessential classics of the 70s but it doesn't feel as jarring there's something with the technology that adds like a larger gap of or like the a larger possibility of disconnect between mm-hmm. um message and film and feet overall feel or vibe if you will but yeah no they've been fun to think about and talk about for sure like would never have seen hashtag horror without this and to bring them both together really mm-hmm. across both of those films how do you think they use technology and social media to create uh to create horror? Well, I think that so with unfriended, I think that's a bit easier to answer be just because you have the little ghost in the machine creating the horror and the kind of mystery around it and who the who is it slash who done it e kind of aspect of that and the being constantly watched like can't leave or they'll die sort of thing um but i think that in hashtag horror the use of technology and then it, the lack or the absence of the technology right like once they t- uh, strip themselves of their phones and lock them away in the um the the vault that the absence of that technology just reveals how damaging the technology is um, and how, you know, uh, horrifying it can be to interact with other people and, like, be yourself, but then also with hashtag where there's the kind of constant, um, you know, outsider looking in, and recording you and po- like that feeling of you're always being watched again, like an unfriended, but in a different way. And like that can be used against you because of the weird app that they use that cats like stalking them and then posting about them on it. And they're just unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really fucking creepy. 
Mm-hmm. It's like right now there's a lot of things I've been seeing on like Instagram and TikTok where, you know, people will record uh, other people walking their dogs or something as in their car as they drive by or something. And it's like they don't they have not given you that consent to do that. Like, why do you think that's OK? Um, so I don't know if that answered your question or not. <laughs> It does. Sorry if it didn't. <laughs> and and Megan, before we wrap up, is there anything mm-hmm. about either one of these films that you wanted to mention that we haven't covered? Um, let me give a quick think and pull up my notes that I took mm-hmm. and see if that is there anywhere. Let's see, I made my final girl note. I talked oh, I liked um in the very like blatant use of the blood into the pool in hashtag horror that is very much of like the shining, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, Oh, this, this is cool. Um, and yeah, I also just like another weird, like, is this like a psychological thing that's occurring in Sam's mind that kind of never manifests, but I just thought that was like really interesting. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, there are films out there. I did really enjoy Unfriended, though. Like, I would watch that again if it was on television. You kind of know what to expect, but you don't. And again, it gets points for being creative in the deaths. I mean, maybe I need to watch Hashtag Horror again and, like, know what I'm getting into and not cringe from <laughs> my 12-year-old self that uh, was reliving <laughs> certain aspects of like insecurities and things, which is definitely like very true. I think it did touch on that and kind of that, you know, as you were saying earlier, a big kind of arc of the film or an argument of the film, I should say, is girls growing up too fast, right? Because of social media. But also at that age, that's when I started becoming aware of like my body, my body size. If I was like attractive, that's when I started wearing mascara to school sometimes. Mm And, uh, so it, that's also very, like, just um, par for the course with that, too. So I think that that was, um, it touched on that and then, you know, was like, okay, we touched on it. Now we'll give it acid grandma aesthetic and blow it out of proportion. Um, but, yeah, no, thank you so much for, like, suggesting them. They were a really interesting duo to have and to kind of, watch and reflect on and they're um they're certainly weird but watching them back to back it's it's kind of really interesting how the same approach to social media and the same approach to teenagers and social media and cyberbullying which feels like such a dated mm-hmm. term at this point but was definitely all the thematic rage in mm-hmm. in the media and in horror movies around this time how these two very disparate films took the same approach and presented. And it's interesting that both the villains in these films, uh, both the villains and the victims are, are teenage, uh, well, young girls. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a vast, uh, it's not, there's a disproportionate number of female characters to male characters. Like if you break it down, and 
I mean, yeah, in hashtag horror, you really only have Dr. White, who is like madman dad mm-hmm. in it. Um, and then, yeah, in Unfriended, you have just kind of like stereotypical teenage guys, right? You have like asshole Adam, nerd Ken, and then like too good to be true, good boy, Mitch. Um, so they're kind of, they, not that they lack depth, but yeah, the women have, I think, more interesting stories to be told in these films, which it's nice to see. It's important Mm -hmm. rather than just them being nothing but tits and ass and getting stabbed and then being moved on with in the films. No, they're doing the stabbing here, but you know, via the medium of um, digital bullying. Yeah, shallow cuts. <laughs> um, Megan, thank you so much mm-hmm. for your time and for your insight. And where can people find your work online? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um. I don't have like a consistent platform or anything. I I mean, I have um, some articles and if you really wanted to read my previous master's dissertations are on academia. Um, I did write a piece for the Final Girls um, film journal on rape revenge uh, horror films and the desire for catharsis about a year Mm -hmm. ago, um, which was a joy to write, even though the subject's quite morbid. Um, and other than that, yeah, just like book reviews, but if you want to see pictures of my cats or anything like that, or my walks through cemeteries, you can follow me on Instagram, which is under my name at Megan underscore Allen underscore. Um, you can also find me with the same name on Twitter. I don't tweet that much, but every once in a while I'll put like the links if I have anything coming out up there. Um, and then you could also, if you just like love my dulcet tones and want to hear me ramble about other like random things more, my friend Elo and I do have like a project we started in the pandemic. Um, it's a little tiny side podcast called Modern Medieval, the podcast where we just talk about the intersections of the modern and the medieval and film, television, literature, etc. Um, you could find that on most streaming platforms. So if you want to check that out, we've got about 50 episodes that kind of come out sporadically. Um, and yeah, I think that's all the social media stuff. And yeah, feel free to, um, I don't know, direct message me or anything if you want to get in contact for whatever reason. I am here just doing my PhD studies. So always happy to have little side projects to do. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.